a horror movie who had more horror behind the scenes than in front of the camera? And what exactly is Mexican sugar dancing? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day, too. I just finished watching Twin Peaks, season three, about, I don't know, an hour ago. I will talk about it more when I digest it more. I'm a big fan of the original series. I felt like this third season was the best of the three. But to give any more feedback on that, I really need to kind of digest it. It's a heavy show, if you've ever watched it. So we're going to go ahead and get started otherwise. And I wanted to go ahead and get started on Mexican sugar dancing. Now, Mexican sugar dancing is something that pops up on the iceberg conspiracy list. We've talked a lot about the iceberg conspiracy list. It's this main list of all these conspiracies. As you go deeper down the iceberg, they get more obscure. Mexican sugar dancing is one that I've gotten requests on before. And it's it's an odd duck. It was a weird one for me to research And I I have an opinion on it, but I'm going to go ahead and go through uh, everything that I found. So the first thing you find is when you type in Mexican sugar dancing, you find a couple of links to things like Urban Dictionary or Funny Junk, where they explain Mexican sugar dancing is this. Mexican sugar dancing is where you (laughs) take... I'm not... Okay. To be... I don't think... I don't want to give it away. Okay, so Mexican sugar dancing is where you take two two corpses, two dead people, and you make them dance. Like, so some of the explanations were they strung them up like marionette puppets and made them move around and, like, bumped them against each other to have sex, like a kid would be doing with two dolls. Then the explanations became a little more elaborate, i.e. a little more, I I quote-unquote, believable, where you... You take two corpses, I don't know, you st- oh no no, sometimes you can use one corpse, but anyways you take two corpses and you electrify them and the bodies start moving because they're jerking around from the electricity and they dance that way as well. And then there's the, th- the third, even more ridiculous option if you can believe that, where you take a corpse, electrify it so it moves, and then have sex with a electric corpse. Now I think from that third one, you can already see some issues arising, i.e. being electrocuted yourself while having sex with a corpse. So, you know, this is one that popped up and I was like, Ugh. like, I knew it was going to be a struggle to research because one of two things were going to happen. I was either going to find out it was true and see a bunch of footage of these bodies dancing around and people banging these bodies, which I didn't want to see. Or I was going to find out that it was absolutely false with nothing to back it up. And it would be a waste of my time. The third option, I guess, is that it's fake, but it was interesting to to research. And the other one was, I guess there's a fourth option. It was real, but it wasn't what we thought it was. So anyways, like I said, when I go into these conspiracy theories, I go in with the working idea that they're true. And so I started looking up. Mexican sugar dancing. Now, it's interesting because I think on our golf rumors episode, I dated the conspiracy the conspiracy iceberg that I generally go off of. The one I could find the earliest 
mention of golf rumors was in, made in like January of 2017, I believe. So it's fairly recent. It's a long time in internet time, but fairly recent. I found a, another conspiracy, quote-unquote conspiracy iceberg list. It's the same type of image, but it's all sexual acts. And this one was made back in, uh, it was first posted, I should say. The earliest posting I could find of it was in March of 2015. And this was, it starts off with stuff, is stuff like phone sex and feet and uh, PIV, which means penis and vagina. That, that needs its own terminology nowadays. And then you go down to, say, Femdon or BDSM. I already know this video is getting adult filtered. You go down to Next Lever, Cuckold, and then another one, Urethra Sounding, which is real. I guess I should do an aside right now. That is where a man takes a metal rod, sticks it, or has someone else do it, sticks it into their urethra, and then they hit it with a small hammer, like a tuning, like a tuning fork inside your dick. I've seen those videos. I do not want to do an episode on that. Anyways, we keep going down this list. The last part of the list is things like floor tiles, obese, concrete enemas, genital mutilation, unbirthing, and Mexican sugar dancing. Now, some of those I am familiar with. Obese is just feeder sex or just sex with fat people in general, I guess. Concrete enemas is where it's, it's what it sounds. You inject concrete into your stomach or, you know, up into your digestive tract and it hardens and you can actually survive the process, but you feel really full. General mutilation is disgusting and unbirthing. I've actually heard of that before as well. Um, I think you you crawl into it. I don't remember. I don't remember, but I'll have to look into that. But anyway, so, and, and uh, floor tiles is people who get sexually aroused by floor tiles. I'm getting off topic. Mexican sugar dancing is also on this list. So this was the earliest reference I could find to Mexican sugar dancing. Now, floor tiles are real. I mean, not floor tiles probably are real because it's a fetish. Concrete enemas, I've seen the x-rays the footage of that it could be fake but we'll assume that's real i'm sure it kills some people general mutilation obviously real unbirthing i've heard that term before so mexican sugar dancing so what's interesting is that on this list of these five things and actually everything on this list is real some somebody does this stuff but so mexican sugar dancing so Again, now I'm like, okay, so this is the earliest reference I have to it, but it's simply just a phrase. And again, with these icebergs, we don't know who made them. We're never able to get, like, an author on it. Actually, I might be able to track this author down. But we're going to table that for a second. So the question is, what is Mexican sugar dancing? Now, in March of 2015 is the first time that I'm able to see this online, at least, like, on the surface web. Okay, so that conspiracy iceberg is from 2015. The very first, the very first reference I could find in regards to Mexican sugar dancing being anything other than just that phrase was on a, I believe, a French video gaming website. So this was in April of 2015. Someone posted the subject Mexican sugar dancing. The first response is sexual relationship with a skeleton? Question mark. Scat? Question mark. The enigma remains. From that post, the legend grew that this is what Mexican sugar dancing was. And I think it's interesting to, to think that either this, because this person simply asked him the question, is it sex with a skeleton? Because you think Mexican sugar skulls, dancing, blah, blah, blah. From this simple question, this myth grew. 
that now people say, oh, no, I know what that is. I went on the deep web and I found out Mexican sugar dancing is dancing with or having sex with an electrified corpse. So it's interesting, again, to see how these myths grow. It went from being just someone put it on an iceberg of sexual phrases. It became someone asking the question, what is it? Is it sex with a skeleton? And now on Urban Dictionary, and a lot of times when you see this brought up on Reddit or 4chan, they'll be like, oh, I know what it is. It's, it's this. It's, uh, you know, dancing corpses. And again, even that myth evolves. Like, it's like we how, how we saw golf rumors the myth evolved. But I still wasn't satisfied because I'm thinking maybe there is something more to this. Then I was like, aha. I had my aha moment. What's another name for Mexican sugar? Agave. So I did a bunch of research on agave. Dead end. I started researching the county where agave, the parts of Mexico where agave comes from for any sort of weird sexual perversions. Strike. I began to research whether or not you could torture somebody with an agave plant. You can, and I'm sure people have, but they're actually very valuable for food and stuff like that. It's very thorny. I wouldn't want one pushed up my butthole, but... I don't know if that, again, that may work in another context, but this phrase was on a sexual, like how many, how deep are you sexually list. So I was like, okay, now I'm going too far down the quote unquote rabbit hole. And I'm looking at like real conspiracies. I have to remember this is like a sexual thing. And I kept looking around and then I came across, I was looking, I was looking through like old textbooks. I was, (laughs) okay. I won't. Okay, so I was looking. I was doing some deep research on this stuff, even though at this point I'm like, this is. I I think this is completely fake. I'm almost 99. percent But I figured, keep doing the research, Jason. You might stumble across something. Then I found out that agave is actually the name of a character from Greek mythology, who is known for engaging in lesbian sex, her son finding out, and them killing the boy and the mother, agave herself mutilating the body. So. That brings us back full circle. That may be how the term Mexican sugar dancing came about in the first place, pulling from the old Greek mythology. I don't know. But I was like, okay, so I'm back to square one. I'm back to sex and violence and death. I don't. Here, this is the interesting thing about this. I don't think it was true. I think before that post in March 2015 and then the follow-up post on a completely different forum, the first post I could find, the one from March 2015, was on a Malaysian online community website. That's the first time I saw And we may be able to find an earlier iceberg, but this was the earliest that I could find. The April 2015 first reference of having sex with a skeleton is on a French gaming website. So myths just travel around the world. I don't think that this was true before March, April of 2015. But I think in the meantime, somebody has probably tried it out. People have probably made marionettes out of dead people and stuff like that. And people have tried reanimating corpses with electricity. But the idea of it being some sort of sexual act is what would make this different. Having like a little Bill and Judy show or is a Punch and Judy show with dead bodies, I'm sure that's been done a hundred times before. But to do it for sexual gratification is what this is referencing. And it may have been done before in history. I'm sure it has. But I was... This is... This is the kind of thing. It wasn't referred to as Mexican sugar dancing. If someone did it today, there's some creep out there who has two people and, and their bodies, and he's like dancing them around and having sex with them, he, and he's calling it Mexican sugar dancing. That's when the myth becomes real. These little comments 
have basically named something that was unnamed before. It may have been named scientifically, like puppeterius, necrophilius, electrotificus, I don't know. But it being named in the culture, now it's real. So yeah, that's I think where we stand with Mexican sugar dancing. Um, I think that it wasn't a thing. This this might sound a little confusing, but I think it was a thing that was unnamed that a couple of freaks did throughout history. And now it has an official name and the myth has grown around it. And there's probably more than more than a few people that would make you feel comfortable who are masturbating to the thought of doing their own Mexican sugar dancing now that it has a name, now that it's in their consciousness, now that this is a thing. They're like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to do that. Uh, uh, I don't know why I'm simulating an orgasm over the podcast. I think you get the point. So, yeah, I think that's where we stand on this. Rumor, or fake phrase, maybe, turns into rumor, turns into people fearing it is real and then people making it real. And I think that's another interesting side of modern mythology is how it evolves like that. Hey ghouls and guys, do you like to get spooky and stay spooky? Then check out our podcast, The Golden Ghouls. Each week we talk about our favorite things, ghosts and the paranormal. Sound like a good time? Then give us a listen on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Goodbye. Okay, so now we're going to switch gears to a, um, I can't say it's a happier story because it's actually more tragic because it's 100% real. There was a movie that I saw last year. I just saw it on a whim. Now, a lot of times I'll start watching a movie and I'll be doing something else. I'll be reading or I'll be writing or something like that. And I put this movie in and I started reading some news articles. And the first 10 minutes is just a monologue with all these weird visuals. And I was like, what a, what a, what a, what a pretentious monologue. The character was using, you know, all these $3 words. And I was like, eh, it's a little overwritten. The visuals, I kept catching them out of the corner of my eye. The visuals just kind of started shocking me. Very, very well done visuals. And about uh, 10 minutes in, I realized I needed to stop reading, to rewind the movie, and to watch it from beginning to end. And that movie is called The Evil Within. It's not based on the video game. It is a extremely... I shouldn't say extremely, but it is a cult movie without a following, I guess I should say. Critics have said if Tommy Wiseau and David Lynch made a movie together, it would be The Evil Within. This movie came out of nowhere. Okay, so The Evil Within, it's a a fairly basic horror movie, plot-wise. A young man lives in a house. There's a, a haunted mirror that is put into his bedroom. And a demon begins to communicate with him through the mirror. Movie was, I think, shot for like maybe like three to five million dollars. It's very low budget. It's very helpful when you have one actor playing multiple parts. Obviously, he's the good guy and the bad demon in the mirror because it's his reflection. And the story is about him trying to overcome this demon in the mirror. Those type of stories, those type of movies are a dime a dozen. What makes this one interesting is for several reasons. One, what the movie's really about and the story behind it. So the hero of the movie. I can't believe I used that word. The uh, case not have been protagonist. The main character in the movie, he's 
starts off giving this huge monologue about dreams and the nature of dreams. Like I said, he's using these $3 words. He's, he's just really, it's very overwrought. He's talking about all these dreams he had. And then he begins in the real world, but he's still dreaming. The movie goes on for another 15 minutes of this monologue full of stop motion monster effects. It gets really nightmarish. And then he delivers the first of many twists. He said, well, that's my monologue. You're going to hear my real voice now, and you might have to get used to it. And then we realize when he's not monologuing, he is a severely mentally disabled man. And so he's basically playing three characters. He's playing the monologue. He's playing this mentally disabled kid, and he's playing the demon in the mirror. And that's why he can't just move the mirror out of his room. He's trapped there. His older brother's there. His older brother's his caretaker. This goes on and on. And the demon starts to tell the boy, the mentally disabled boy, you're not really mentally disabled. See, you need to evolve. You need to evolve. And the way to evolve is to prove to people that you're smarter, that you've realized the rules of the game. We eat animals, right? So that means it's okay to kill animals. Everybody does it. Even kids kill animals. They know the rules. You don't. You need to go out and kill a dog. And the, mo the mirror is constantly upping this game. And the whole time you're watching this movie, you're thinking, where is this going? And as I'm watching it, I'm about, the first time I'm watching it, I was maybe an hour into it, and I was on the edge of my seat, I, and I thought at that point, I go, this, at this point, it is all about the ending. If this movie can stick the ending, this movie is going to be one of my favorites. It is so flat-out bizarre. It truly is like David Lynch made a terrible film, because that's what's interesting about it, too. There's a whole lot of flaws in the film. There's weird dead ends. There's a point where two people, they go to this the same restaurant over and over again because the movie's so low budget. They only had one set and it's like an outdoor park. And they go there and it's the same extras, but one time they go there and everyone's different. And they even go, hey, none of the same people are here that were here last time. And it makes you think, is it because of the events that Dennis, the kid, is doing? Or was it because the director couldn't find the original cast? I'm not going to spoil the movie anymore for you, other than to say it is a great horror movie, both on the levels of a twisting plot, great special effects, and the fact that it is so amateurish that it is like watching someone else's dream. So let's go to the behind-the-scenes story. So this movie took 14 years to make. It was made by Andrew Getty, heir to the Getty Oil Fortune, and a horrible, horrible meth addict. Now, he believed, he believed that dreams were stories told by somebody else to you while you slept. And that is also the trauma that Dennis is going through in the movie. Dennis says, I can't make up my own dreams. That's impossible. Because you can't tell a joke without seeing the punchline coming, right? So how can you have a dream that is so scary it scares you if you're the one making it up? Because you know the ending. You know that you're making it up, so how can it scare you? The only way for you to have a nightmare that truly scares you is for somebody else to tell you that nightmare. And so that's 
that's kind of the thought process that runs through the movie. It's all about dreams and nightmares. And I will tell you this right now. The whole movie is not just a dream. That was one of my worries as I was watching it. It hangs very much in the world of dreams and nightmares and what is reality. But it, there, it is not a trick ending at all. It, it, it totally sticks the ending. You can tell the enthusiasm in my voice is here much more than Mexican sugar dancing. I know a ton about agave plants now. I don't even drink a tequila. Andrew Getty was a meth addict and a millionaire. And ever since he was a kid, he was tormented, tormented by these horrible nightmares. So back, I believe, in like 2004, he started shooting this movie called The Storyteller. And it took about a year or two to shoot. Pretty basic shoot in the beginning. But he spent the next 12 years working on the editing, the stop motion. He would sit in his mansion. He turned a part of his mansion into a recording, like a, a production booth. He was burning through his available cash. And they said he was eating cereal. Like the producer would come over and he's like, yeah, man, I've just been eating cereal for like two weeks straight. Part of that was the fact that he was spending all of his time and money on the movie. The other part of the fact, he was spending all of his time and money on meth as well. And so I can't imagine being a meth addict for one, but also to be a meth addict and be like, time to edit my horror movie. Time to delve into my childhood trauma about how horrible nightmares are. And that's what, how he was spending his life. So he had all of his money. And so he was hiring, you know, people to do it, experts to do it. He had people on. He had uh, Sean Patrick Flannery was in it. He was the older brother. He had Dina Meyer. She was dizzy from Starship Troopers. She was in it. But as the movie kept going on, so they filmed the original movie, but he kept tweaking with it, doing more special effects, writing new scenes, people started dropping out. A couple of the cast members died in the 14 years, and that's why I think the scene when they're sitting at the restaurant, they go, none of these people have been here before. These are all new people. I think it's the fact that he couldn't find those people again, and he just wrote it into the script. It works brilliantly, not that particular scene, because some of the stuff's really just wooden, but the only two people who stayed with the movie from beginning to end was the star, Frederick Kohler, and Michael Berryman. Michael Berryman's a famous horror movie actor. He's the guy from The Hills Have Eyes. He looks like a monster, stuff like that. This guy was tortured over this movie, Andrew Getty. was tortured over this movie. He was working on it. So he's working on this movie. Andrew Getty is trapped and tortured, working on this bizarre horror movie, constantly doing reshoots, working on the stop-motion effects, and injecting meth this whole time. And what's interesting is you know that this movie was about the fears of his life and he was still felt driven to, to make this. And then in 2015, he began having stomach pains and finally in March 2015, which weird coincidence is the same month that the Mexican sugar dancing meme started. Didn't realize that. He bled to death in his stomach and died. The movie wasn't finished. And so what happened was the producer got together and realized, okay, what do we need to do? Because this was this guy's passion project. So the producer actually finished the movie for him. It's like, you know, this movie needs to be seen. This was the thing he worked on. They finished the movie. It was called The Storyteller. They sold it to a distributor. They renamed it to The Evil Within, which is generic as that title that it, as that is. It's much better than The Storyteller. And they released it, and it just disappeared. I, as far as I know, it's still not available on Netflix. It just kind of came out. It was no wide release. But the reviews, there's tons of articles about this movie. And the reviews are like, it's a mess, but it's a beautiful mess. I had as much fun researching it as I did watching the movie. 
this movie is completely amateurish, but it shows such a level of genius. We wish this guy could have stayed alive. And, of course, the review. If Tommy Wiseau and David Lynch directed a movie together, it would be The Evil Within, which is 100% accurate. I definitely recommend watching this movie, The Evil Within. I think that the story behind it adds to the tragedy because basically you're watching a man's waking nightmares and then you're watching a man's obsessions 14 years on one project that's insane but he kept working on it and you just have to wonder what was going through his head as he was watching his own visions on screen only to die alone in a bathroom at, you know, the age of 47. The drugs eating at him. The terrors eating at him. He's working on this project that is all about terror. And he dies alone. The good thing is, is the movie was released. And it's found a small fan base. But I think it will find a bigger fan base as more people watch it. As more people find it. So I highly recommend watching the movie The Evil Within. And it's just sad to think of what could have been. Because he, I definitely think he had some... He was definitely a great visual, visual director. He was an amateur. It was his first film. But, yeah. Take care of yourself, guys. Don't, don't do unhealthy things. You know. Don't do unhealthy things. Dead Rabbit Radio is uh, uh, deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Our um, Twitter account is um, at Jason O. Carpenter. Uh, Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great episode.